Hey, Cross Community family, hope you guys are doing well. We missed being in person with you again uh, this week, but um, today we're actually live streaming this from the new facility. Um, we've got a, hand, a handful of folks that were lucky enough to be able to be in here with us today, but if you're new with our church family, just to let you know what's going on right now is we're in a really unique transition season. For six years, we have been a portable church plant meeting in high school gymnasiums and meeting at the YMCA and several other places in between, uh, but by God's grace, uh, over the last year and a half, we've had a facility under construction. It was completed a couple weeks ago, and we're preparing to hold our first public worship services here at 31 Shell Point Recreation Park next Sunday, uh, which is Father's Day. And so we had about a two-week period where we are transitioning from being a portable church to a permanent church and had some things that had to be done here. So last week and this week, what we've done is we've recorded message We've encouraged you to get together either with small groups, watch on your own, even visit other local churches if the Lord leads you to do that. Uh, but next week, we are so excited about being back together with you in person from this room. And what we've done at different points in times this year is we've tried to revisit some passages of scripture that we went through together as a church family at very pivotal moments in our six-year history. Several months ago, our leadership was asking the question, as we transition into this new season of ministry as a church, how are we gonna retell the story of God's faithfulness to cross community? And so we not only wanna retell that story at different points in time, we wanna revisit the passages of scripture that the Lord used to shape us and to carry us at key points in our church's history. So several weeks back, we looked at the Great Commission because uh, that is the mission that Jesus gave to his church, is to preach the gospel and to make disciples. We look at that passage about every 18 months because that's the mission of the church and we wanna make sure we're staying on mission. A few weeks back, we looked at Acts chapter three, verses one through 10. That was the very first text that was preached at Cross Community on January January 22nd, 2017, at our first public worship gathering. And then we preached that again at Easter at the drive-in movie theater in 2020. And then uh, last week, we, we were back in the Psalms, looking at Psalm 103 which was a passage of scripture we preached the first Sunday uh, that COVID hit and we were not allowed to meet together in person. And this morning, what we're gonna do is look at Psalm chapter 126. So if you have your Bible, I wanna invite you to turn with me wherever you are this morning, Psalm 126. This passage was preached and, and, and was uh, something that we studied back in the first Sunday of January, 2020. It was a critical crossroads for our church family because it was just a few weeks before, for the very first time, we started looking at the property where this building sits today. And so not knowing everything that was gonna hit us as a church and everything that was gonna hit us as a nation, everything that was gonna hit the world, just a few weeks later, with all the chaos of 2020, we just felt impressed upon by the Lord to devote ourselves fully for that month of January to prayer and to prepare what the Lord was doing for us. And so at a critical point in time in our church family's story, we were in Psalm 126, and that's what we're gonna look at together today. Before we dive into text, I just wanna ask a really, really simple question. If I were to ask you, how does God bring revival and awakening to his people, how might you answer that question? I wanna give you two examples. Example number one comes from the ministry of Billy Graham. 
Back in the 1950s, Billy Graham's global ministry was exploding, and he held a three-month crusade across Australia and New Zealand. More than three million people attended this, one of these events in person, which at the time was about one-third of the total population. Half of the population heard a gospel message through a broadcast, and during that three-month period, 140,000 people made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. And over 60 years later, they are affectionately referred to as the 59ers. Now let me give you a second example. In the late 18th century, William Carey was a young and newly ordained Baptist minister, and he was burdened to take the gospel to the nations, but he was dismissed by the older ministers around him, and they ignored him. But in 1792, he organized a missionary society, and shortly after, he set sail for India with his wife and three children. And for the first several years, they were struck by poverty and illness and loneliness, uh, uh, Carey himself contracted malaria. His five-year-old son, Peter, died of dysentery. During this time, his wife fell mentally ill, and she suffered from delusions that drove her to threaten his life. And after suffering like this for several years, though, for the next few years, things finally began to turn. The missionary support stabilized. Others joined him on the mission field. In 1800, after seven years of suffering and struggle, William Carey baptized his first convert to Jesus Christ. One of his most famous statements came from a sermon he preached prior to leaving for India where he said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So again, I'll ask the question, how does God bring revival and awakening to his people? Sometimes revival sweeps across a nation like a flood. That was the ministry of Billy Graham. But sometimes the flood slowly builds with our tears. And that was the ministry of William Carey. And the specific circumstances surrounding Psalm 126 aren't given in explicit detail, but here's what we do know. The people of God are eager and hungry for him to move in their day as he had moved in previous generations. And so that's been our prayer for as a church for the last several years, is that we would see the Lord pour out his Holy Spirit in such a way that multitudes of people in Beaufort, South Carolina, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In March of last year, our church held a groundbreaking service, and before the service, we had given these stones to everybody that was going to be participating, and we encouraged them to take a marker and write on these stones the names of people that they were praying for, or maybe song lyrics, or a passage of scripture that, that the Lord really loved laid on their hearts. So everybody kind of did their own thing with that. Some wrote the names of friends or family members of loved ones that they were praying for. Others wrote passages of scripture. Others wrote specific prayer requests for our congregation. With my stone, the Lord laid on my heart to write one single word. And the word that I wrote was awakening. And together we took those stones and we buried them in the foundation almost directly under where I'm standing right now. And we laid these requests before the Lord. We're living in a time when the news seems to be almost entirely about the decline of the church, where the news always seems to be bad. Masses abandoning the faith in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. But what Psalm 126 shows us is that no matter how bleak things might seem in the moment, no matter how hard it might seem for us in our praying, in our weeping before the Lord in the moment, we can always look to God's faithfulness in the past to give us confidence that he will revive again his people in the future. So from Psalm 126, I'm going to read beginning in verses 1 through 3. Psalmist writes, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, 
we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. So how do they begin their prayer for revival in the present? They begin their prayer for revival in the present by recalling his faithfulness in the past. So that's the first thing we see from Psalm 126. His past faithfulness is our present comfort. This psalm is intended to be a corporate prayer. The people of God have come together and they're remembering a time when things were going really, really well. Now, all throughout the history of the nation of Israel, there were these seasons of spiritual and economic prosperity that made them the envy of the nations to the point that the nations would look at them and say, the Lord has done great things for them. They didn't just recall the response of the nations, though. They also recalled their own experience of joy. Psalmist writes, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. When Billy Graham was holding that Australian crusade in the late 1950s, it was utterly undeniable that the Lord was doing a supernatural work. And man, can you imagine being a part of something like that? Can you imagine being part of a movement where a third of our nation came in person to hear the preaching of the gospel, where half of our nation heard a gospel message, where hundreds of thousands of people were professing faith in Jesus Christ in a short period of time? You know, I was born uh, into a family with two believing parents, and I grew up in the church, but I didn't profess faith in Christ until I was a freshman in high school. And, and my story is that uh, there was a friend of my older brother's who had tragically taken his own life. And I remember after this happening, just being overwhelmed by the fear of death. And it was just crippling to me, paralyzing to me, 14 years old, just, just struggling and, and wrestling with my own mortality and the reality that one day I would close my eyes for the last time. And that same weekend, uh, this guy had been a, a part of our student ministry. Our youth pastor was a guy named Kevin Knights, and he was just doing this incredible job comforting us with, with hope and comforting us with promises and trying to minister to us in our brokenness. And that night, at the end of his message, he gave an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And one timid little hand in the back of the room went up, and it was mine. And on November 11, 2001, I hung the hopes of my soul on the finished saving work of Jesus Christ. And man, I remember that there were tears. I remember that there were emotions. I, I couldn't wait to, to go home and tell my parents. There were so many emotions overwhelming this moment. But the thing I remember the most was the experience of joy. I, I was so eager to go to school the next day and tell my friends what had happened to me. I felt the weight of eternity lifting off of my shoulders you know, but unfortunately, what happens to so many of us is, is we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we initially start in this place of joy, and then life just kicks us right in the soul and just takes us out. And we see death, and we see illness, and we see brokenness, and we struggle with our own doubts and our own questions and our own fears. And we have these days where we wonder, God, do you hear me? Do you see me? And what the psalmist calls us to do is to remember the experience of joy. Remember his faithfulness to us in the past. Every one of us as followers of Jesus are going to go through seasons where joy in our walk with Christ seems impossible. When William Carey was struggling to see the gospel make any sort of progress in India, he once wrote, I am a I'm in a strange land, no Christian friend, a large family, and nothing to supply their wants. This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me. 
I just wonder this morning how many of us today, either because of our own sin, because of our circumstances, because of personal suffering, how many of us are living in our own valley of the shadow of death? How many of us today in our deepest desires want nothing more than to once again experience joy? And so listen, if you are a Christian struggling with joy in the present, my encouragement to you today is to remember his faithfulness in the past. Remember when he saved you. Remember the joy that you found when Jesus found you. And no matter how messy it looks for you right now, no matter how distant you feel from the Lord, no matter what your suffering is, no matter what your struggling is, remember that he has not given up on you. Remember his love for you. Remember his grace. Remember his mercy. Remember how he has called you out of death and into life through faith in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Let his faithfulness to you in the past be your present comfort today and let our response to those memories be, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Psalmist goes on in verses four through six to say this. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So first we saw that his past faithfulness is our present comfort. Second, in verses four through six, we see that our present struggle will give way to future joy. The Negev was a dry, barren land in the southern region of Judah. And what the psalmist envisions here was a time when the dry valleys and ravines would be filled with the overflowing streams from a downpour of rain that would lead to a fruitful year of crops, growth, and, and harvesting. And when we look back through church history, that's how God moves sometimes. It's the Billy Graham crusade in Australia. Millions hear the gospel. Hundreds of thousands respond to the gospel. It leaves a lasting impact that continues to transform generations. Sometimes the overwhelming presence of God comes from above like clouds that are pregnant with grain and saturate every square inch of the earth, leaving no doubt that something miraculous has taken place. But then there's another type of revival. And it's not one where the Lord saturates the ground from clouds of rain, but one where the ground is slowly and painfully watered by the tears of God's people. This is William Carey. It doesn't happen all at once. There's no mountaintop experience. For a while, it's impossible to see, but through faithful, rugged persistence, the result is still the same for those who sow in tears. The promise of scripture is that they will reap in shouts of joy. Jesus makes this connection in Luke chapter 10, verse two. He said to those listening, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly. Literal translation here, beg. Beg the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. Plead with him to rend the heavens. Plead with the Lord to tear the heavens open to pour out his Holy Spirit in an Acts chapter two, 3,000 people saved in a single day type of way. Pray for these things, but until that moment, sow the tears. Sow tears of thanksgiving for his faithfulness in the past. Sow tears of repentance over the brokenness of our sins. Sow tears of intercession as we plead for those who are far from Jesus Christ. 
Listen, today, if you find yourself agonizing over a loved one who is far from Jesus, do not give up praying for them. Sow in the tears. Saturate the ground with your tears. Get on your knees before the Lord. God has ordained that he will pour out his Holy Spirit through the supernatural prayers of his people, so don't give up. Tears and joy are not mutually exclusive. The fallow ground of a spiritually dry land will only be watered through the tears of the people of God as we plead for him to send the rain. Church, this is our answer. God in his sovereignty has willed that he bring about spiritual awakening through the prayers of his people. This is what Jonathan Edwards said a a few centuries ago, that when God purposes to do a supernatural work among his people, he does it through the extraordinary prayers of his people. There's moments when prayer feels fruitless. There's moments when when, when it feels barren. There's moments when it feels like we're just talking to no one and speaking in to nothing. But the promise of Psalm 126 is that there will be great future joy on the other side of our present struggle. As Will and Carrie suffered along his journey and he described the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't suffer without hope. It was hope that drove him forward. He, He wrote, this is indeed the valley of the shadow of death for me. But I rejoice that I am here notwithstanding and God is with me. I have God and his word is sure. While Carrie's ministry is marked by struggle and toil and suffering, the end of his story and legacy is what's most remembered today. His book, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians, is one of the most important books in all of church history. And so even though in his lifetime he would only see about 700 converts, this was the long-term fruit of William Carey's ministry. His team worked to translate the Bible in 34 Asian languages. They established 19 mission stations nearly 100 schools that encouraged the education of girls. And he also made many contributions to Indian literature. He served as the founder of Serampore College in India, which was the first degree-awarding university in the country. And more than that, his example would stir the hearts of tens of thousands of other missionaries who were inspired to carry out the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. And he is known to us today as the father of modern missions. Friends, this is where I fear that many of us might be today. When we think about revival, we're only capable of thinking in the context of of some large group emotional experience. Like it's got to be the epic praise music, it's got to be the famous keynote speaker, the coffee's gotta be just right, the room temperature's gotta be just right. Like all of, of the environmental elements have to be just right. And we're a very pragmatic kind of, I wanna see results right now in this moment type of society. And so when we don't see instantaneous results, a couple things happen. Either we just assume that God has not moved or we assume that God has, has not moved or we come to the place where we start to think that, man, God can't truly do this work. And we start to doubt. And when we do that, we start to take it in our own hands and we start to cut corners. And we start to water down the gospel and we start to do things that that try to attract more and more people to make up for what we see to be a failure on God's part. And what Psalm 126 shows us is it's not always this big epic emotional experience. It's, it's not always in a stadium with a crowd. Sometimes it's seven years of agonizing for one single person to profess faith in Jesus. 
And, and this is what's amazing. 140,000 for Billy Graham, one for William Carey. Heaven no less rejoiced for the one than they did for the 140,000. Those who sow in tears will reap in shouts of joy. Seven years ago, Cross Community was a group of about 40 adults who were eager to see God move in our community. And what I remember most about those uh, early meetings in the spring and the summer of 2016, before we were holding public worship gatherings, what I remember most about those meetings were closing out our time, getting on our knees, sowing in the tears pleading for God to move, pleading for God to pour out his Holy Spirit, pleading for God to do a great work for the sake of his name in our sleepy little community, eager for him to move, pleading for him to move, because church planting, man, it is slow and agonizing work. And a lot of followers of Jesus don't have the patience for it because we're an instant results society, but for seven years, for seven years, this congregation has been sowing in the tears. We've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we have focused on the health of the church above the growth of the church. We've called God's people to pray. We've called followers of Jesus back to the basics of the mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples of the name of Jesus. And seven years later, we are reaping in shouts of joy. We've seen over 150 people profess faith in Christ. We've seen brothers and sisters in Christ who had fallen away from the church be the prodigal sons and daughters who came back home to the arms of the Father. In 2020, as we were praying through this psalm, the Lord provided us with this land. In 2021, he provided us for the funding for this facility. March of last year, we broke ground. And friends, next week, we are going to come into this room together and we're gonna fill it with our shouts of joy celebrating all that God has done for his people. You know, when I drive onto this property and I walk the halls of this building, I just, even just walking in this morning, what overwhelms my heart, the praise that, that immediately comes off of my mouth is the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. And listen, that would be true even if we were still meeting in a gymnasium five minutes down the road. Because if we never had this building, if we never had any other material possession, God has still provided everything that we need by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. We could never have this building and he would still be worthy of our praise. We would still have everything that we need to carry out the mission that he's called us to carry out. The Lord has done great things for us and we're glad. The church family, even in our gladness, this is my challenge as we begin to close today. We cannot forsake the work of sowing in the tears. I think in the next few months in particular, we, we face maybe our biggest uh, obstacle yet. Our biggest temptation is, is to now become less dependent on the Lord, to think that we have somehow arrived. The test for us in the coming weeks is going to be, do we come in here with the mentality of mission accomplished, or do we come in here with the mentality of Mission accepted. That this is the biggest test for us in the weeks ahead. Will we use this facility like a battleship or will we use it like a cruise ship? Will this facility be an aircraft carrier to the nations or is it gonna become a luxury liner for Christian consumers? Yes, the Lord has done great things for us and we're glad. But we do not rest until every man, woman, and child from every tribe, tongue, and nation knows that same gladness through faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Rejoice in his faithfulness in the past 
and let's continue to beg him to move again in our day. The Lord has done great things. The Lord will do great things. So let's expect great things from God, and let's continue to attempt great things for God. So Father, as as we close this time, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that those who sow in tears will reap in shouts of joy. Lord, do not allow us to grow complacent. Do not allow us to get to the place that we think this mission is completed. Remind us even now of the billions who have yet to hear the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Remind us of the more than 100,000 people in Beaufort County who do not have saving faith in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Do not let us get comfortable. Do not let us get complacent. Do not let us think that our part in this is finished. And will you infuse within us a renewed zeal and passion and energy for the sake of your name and the sake of your glory and the sake of your kingdom to make you known among every man, woman, and child from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so, Father, as we continue to plead, we do it from the posture of rejoicing. We thank you that you have done great things for us. We thank you that you have given our church family a home. But most importantly, we thank you that you have offered us salvation through faith in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us everything that we need. So keep our eyes on you. This week, will you fix our hearts on you? Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. We praise you in advance for the celebration that will take place in this room one week from today. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, church family, again, we miss you so much. We absolutely cannot wait to gather with you in this room next week. Couple of quick things before we sign off on our time together this morning. Two quick announcements. Uh, Number one, we just looked at the importance of prayer from Psalm 126. Stay tuned this week um, through email, through social media for a couple of opportunities before our first services for you to actually come into this building and walk through and devote ourselves to a period of prayer prior to our first services next week. So just stay tuned for all of those details. And then a second really important announcement we wanna go ahead and put on your radar. Uh, Beginning next Sunday, we will have three morning worship gatherings. It will be 8 a.m., 9.30 and 11.15. Important note on the 8 a.m. service, we will not have Cross Kids open for that service. That's only for 9.30 and 11.15. But eight o'clock, 9.30, 11.15, you'll have three opportunities to come join us for worship together next week. So eager to get with you in this room. Is everybody in the room excited for next week? Are we ready to go? Yeah. We know you guys are too. We love you. Thanks so much for joining in with us this week and we'll see you soon. Take care.